like you to turn this morning in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Praise God. Right at the last minute, I tried to locate a helmet, but couldn't find one. Um, and uh, I, I, I had thought, I wasn't sure if this would be uh, right. Or not. How many of you ever buy stuff at the store and you return it the next day? Come on. Yeah, all right. The next, you know, a couple days later, you return it. Right? How many of you ever buy something in the store and absolutely intend to return it after you've used it the next day? All right, I knew you wouldn't raise your hands. But I, I had thought, you know, I had thought of running to Dick's Sporting Goods and getting myself a baseball helmet with the idea I would just return it. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not sure how everyone would feel about that. Um, but we are on the helmet of salvation. We understand a little bit more about this, I think, in our current society. I know that it's been almost, maybe at times, a little difficult to envision or picture the type of armor that the Roman soldier would have worn in his day. But a helmet, we have come to know uh, even in our current day and age that we live in, is a good thing and an important thing. Uh, for those of you who, um, you know, maybe you get out, uh, maybe nobody here, but I have seen people driving down the street on motorcycles, doing absolutely insane things with no helmet. And I think to myself, usually it's a guy. You know, it's, it's some young guy who thinks he's invis invincible. And I think, you know, as fast as you're going, your head is like an egg when it hits the pavement and you're doing those kinds of things. You have a helmet, you have a chance. We have, you see, bicyclists all the time going around and most people, most of them, wear a helmet. Now, when I was a kid, riding a bike and wearing a helmet, you, they, I don't even think they sold bicycle helmets at that time. So you didn't wear a helmet. Eventually, you would see somebody on the motorcycle, they'd have a helmet because they realized it could, you know, if they fell off, uh, at the very least, when they hit their head, it, it might not split open. Uh, in baseball, over the years, it used to be back in the old days, they didn't wear helmets. They just had their hats. Until somewhere along the way, pitchers started throwing at the heads of the batters, and the batters couldn't get out of the way. They had these shorter helmets that went all the way around. They were hard on top, but nothing covering the ears until somebody got beamed in the face and had their face, had to have their face reconstructed, almost was killed. And so then they started putting a flap on there that would sort of cover the ear and part of the face to try to protect them. A helmet is important, and a helmet is not something that you wear all the time, but it is something that is to be taken with you. Now, as we understand the helmet of salvation in this verse of Scripture, in this, let's read this. The Bible says this in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 6. It says, 
take the helmet of salvation. A Roman soldier at that time did not live in their helmet. It would be hot, it would be uh, uncomfortable, but it would be absolutely necessary for the warfare that they were in. Remember that according to the context of this passage of Scripture, we are not necessarily taking things off and putting them on as in we are doing it while you know, we, we're, you know, we have salvation in church, but on you know, every other day of the week, we live the way that we want to live. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not what I'm suggesting. But we are not always in a battle like what, what is seen here. But when we face those battles, we have to be ready with this armor. And this piece of armor is absolutely vital because it protects the very center of your being. It protects your brain. It protects your mind. It protects the decision maker. It protects that part of you that if it's taken out of the game, then you will die. If we could liken this or translate this into a spiritual realm, that when our minds are taken out of the game, if we engage our minds in sin and we allow the flaming arrows of the evil one to get in and to get us in our minds, then what can happen is spiritual death. And this is why it's so important that we have to take salvation as our helmet. Now, salvation is important to all of us because we have come to know that we need a Savior, that we are sinners. The Bible states that in very clear terms, that we are sinners. And so, what will save us from our sin? What will take us to a place of coming to know that we are absolutely saved? It is salvation through Jesus Christ and Him alone. We understand that it is by faith. Somebody asked me uh, recently, how do I lead somebody to the Lord? How do I, I bring them to that place? Is it a certain thing that they have to say? And I know a lot of times we have stressed a sinner's prayer. And oftentimes the sinner's prayer is really only intended for people who are not accustomed to praying, who don't know what to say, who don't even know that prayer is talking to God. But when it all comes down to it, salvation is by faith. It isn't even a set of words that you say. It is you trusting in what God has done and provided as a gift of salvation on the cross. So salvation is absolutely vital, and Paul tells the Ephesians that we are to take salvation as a helmet. That word take in the original language indicates that it is an imperative. In other words, don't leave home without it. It's kind of like if you plan to travel to another country, you need a what? Passport. You need that passport. Don't leave home without it. You will not leave this country. You will not get into this country if by some accident they let you leave. You won't get into that other country without that passport. They will send you right back. You don't leave without it. I'm not suggesting today that we take our salvation 
and put it on the table for the rest of the week. That's not what we're talking about. But this is when the battle comes, you've got to know that salvation, your salvation that you possess currently is going to be your help. It is going to minister to you. It is going to protect you from various things. Now, how does it protect us? First, salvation protects us with three things. Salvation protects us with the assurance that God has saved us from our sin. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 and just turn back a few pages to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to read verses 7 and 8 and then we'll read chapter 2 and verse 1. The book of Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 and 8. The Bible says this, In Him... I want you to notice how Paul states this. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. I want you to see the absolute certain terms that Paul uses. He says, in him we have redemption. I know a lot of times it's hard for people to understand when they give their lives to Christ, then there is this battle that rages in their minds about whether or not they are saved. I want you to know that if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, in what he did on the cross for your sins, and you have received him for yourself, you are saved from sin. You are saved from its power. You are saved from its effects. You are saved from having uh, to spend eternity with the destination or the destiny of hell as your portion because you have given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and Paul says, we have redemption. Say, Pastor, does that mean I, I'm, I'm going to live perfectly? No. There isn't anybody in this room who can say that they live absolutely perfectly. Nobody does, but we have redemption. You need to have that assurance. Salvation will protect you in that day when the enemy is standing against you and calling into question whether or not you are really a believer. Brothers and sisters, we've got to put on the helmet of salvation that says, the Bible tells me that I can have an assurance that I am saved. You don't have to walk around saying, well, you know what? I sinned yesterday. Am I, am I on my way to hell? That's not at all what the Bible indicates. Instead, you can have an assurance that your faith in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross has saved you. Yes, if you repent of your sin, then that's a wonderful thing. You say, well, but I didn't even know that I did that. Then you've got to trust in the grace of God. Amen? The grace of God is still greater than your sin. Sin is not greater than grace. So we've got to trust in the grace of God. His salvation protects us with the assurance that God has saved us. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. I want you to see this. I love this. The Bible says this, As for you, he's talking to the Ephesians, who were Gentiles. These were not Jewish believers. These were not Christians who had come out of Jerusalem. These were Gentiles who heard the word. The Bible says this, As for you, you were dead. 
in your transgressions and sins. Notice again how he uses the term, this term, this time, you were. In other words, he's saying, this is what you once were, but now you are something different in God because you have salvation. Salvation in and through Jesus Christ gives you the hope of, of a future with him. It gives you the hope of salvation that is still yet to come. But currently, you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You are his. You once were dead in your transgressions and sins. And Paul goes on in chapter 2 to talk about some of the things, the, the things that they were. They were outside of the household of Israel. They didn't have the law. They didn't have any of those things. But the gospel was preached to them, and he says, but now this is what you are in Christ. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know you can have the assurance of salvation, and it will protect you in the day of battle when the enemy comes along and he begins to whisper to you and tell you how rotten of a Christian you have been. You can say, but Jesus has done this for me on the cross. And I am hoping in the salvation that he is giving. Listen, don't hope in your performance. Don't put your trust in how perfect you can be. But put your trust in what Jesus Christ did for you. Salvation protects us also with the hope that he will save us from the effects of sin. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In verse 15, I want you to see this. The Bible says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15. It says, for we are to, to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Wait a minute. Those who are being saved. I thought I am saved. Yes, you are. But there are still the effects of sin in the world that we live in. One of those effects will not be dealt with until Jesus comes back and there will be a final resurrection. And it's called death. Everybody, whether you believe in Christ or you don't believe in Christ, has to deal with the issue of death, the effect of death. But there are certain things that can come our way and can, and in some ways, bring us down and discourage us. You've got to know that God has given Christ the victory over those effects, even death, hell, and the grave. What does Paul say? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he tells us, he says, Where, O grave, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Brothers and sisters, it's because of what Jesus has done that the sting has been taken out of death. You say, but I've experienced the loss of a loved one, and I know the pain and the sorrow that I have. I want you to know, you may know the pain and the sorrow of losing that loved one, but brothers and sisters, when you as a believer come to that moment in 
in life where you breathe your last, you've got to know that there is something on the other side of that, that moment. And that moment is eternity that you can be with Him. The effect of sin is no longer going to be a part of your life, but instead now you can be with Him for all of eternity. He will save you. You see, we are saved, but there are times in the battle that we're faced with where the effects of sin are felt. And I want you to know that God has given us the helmet of salvation to let us know that we're going to make it through on the other side. The enemy doesn't have to get in and get into the mind and change how it is that you see God and what God is able to do for you, but instead that helmet can protect you and say, I am safe within his arms. I am safe in, in this place of salvation. I've got something that is greater than the power and the effects of sin. Salvation protects us also with strength over the power of sin. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Salvation protects us with strength over the power or the lure of sin, the temptation of sin. First John chapter 2, verse 1. I remember reading this as a, as a young man, as a young boy, reading the Bible and hearing it being read. And then the realization hit me. Uh, in Bible college, I was sitting in a class. I can't remember what the class was. It might have been a class specifically on the epistles of John. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly what it was. But I remember uh, the teacher, and it's sort of a class discussion happened. And one of my classmates spoke up about this verse of Scripture. It wasn't even the professor who spoke in this manner, but it was, it was one of my classmates spoke up uh, regarding this one verse of Scripture. Let's read it first and see what it says. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, we often spend a little bit of time in the latter part of that verse, but can we just read again one more time the first part? It says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now, the Bible lets us know that we are all sinners. I can't say that I have no sin. John writes that. He says you can't, you can't say that. But he writes this here and he says this. He says, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. In other words, you don't have to sin. Amen? You don't have to. I say, but I have to. I'm a sin. No, you don't. You absolutely, you absolutely do not have to give in when the enemy comes along with temptation. We don't have to give in to the temptation. The Bible says that we have been, there is a way of escape out of that temptation so that you can bear up under it. You don't have to sin. 
You don't have to from this point forward. Salvation comes as a protection against the power of sin in your life. The enemy comes along and he begins to dangle whatever it is, whatever weakness, whatever habit, whatever temptation in front of you saying, look here, isn't this so nice? This is so good. You have to give in. And you think, oh, I have to. I have. You don't have to. You don't. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to give in to sin. We can reject it. Many times, and I think part of what's happening in our society is now we are not, and and as as a society as a whole, they don't want to deal with the issue of sin because for them, sin doesn't even exist. The Bible lets us know that it does. Don't ever fall into the lie and the assumption that there is no sin. There absolutely is sin. It's been around since the beginning. We've got to deal with it. But I want you to know that as a believer, you've got the power of salvation, the helmet of salvation as a covering for you to protect you against the power and the lure and the temptation to sin. You don't have to. I do not have to sin. You don't have to. John writes it and he says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. I like how he says that because he puts it on us. Remember years ago, a comedian by the name of Flip Wilson coined the phrase, the devil made me do it. Devil didn't make you do anything. The devil lied to you, but you willed to do it. This is what John's saying. John is saying, I'm writing to you so that you will, you will not make that choice. You will not choose to give in to your flesh, to give in to the temptation. I'm writing so that you will not allow yourself that opportunity. You wouldn't allow yourself that moment of sin and pleasure in sin. What does the Bible say about Moses? It says that by faith, he forsook the pleasures of sin for a season. He ran from it. He got away from it. Paul told Timothy and Titus in, in, in the epistles to those two young pastors, he says, I want you to flee from sin. You run from it. As a young man, as a young woman, you get away from it. You don't sit there and say, oh, I wonder what that would be. You don't do that. No, salvation gives you the power to say no and walk away. Now, salvation does something else for us. As a helmet, it provides us with a covering for the mind. It specifically provides us with a covering for the mind against something that is important, against three important things. Disillusionment, doubt, and disunity. First, in disillusionment, go over to, back to Ephesians chapter 1. There's a verse of Scripture that I want to read there for you. Disillusionment can be defined as believing a lie. You believe something that is absolutely not true. And the Bible lets us know that as a helmet of salvation, we have a covering now for our mind. Our mind is protected against what is false. It has been armed with the truth. You now have the truth. You possess the truth. The truth of Jesus Christ. The truth of Him who has died on the cross for your sins. He has given you hope. He's given you a future. He has given you a, a promise of eternity. But sometimes the enemy comes along and he does the only thing he can possibly do is lie to you. 
But the Bible lets us know we have a covering for our mind against disillusionment. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. The Bible says, And you also were included in Christ. Now notice this. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. I'm going to stop reading right there. You heard the word of truth. Truth combats disillusionment. It combat when somebody is disillusioned, oftentimes you have to battle it with what is true, with the truth. He says, the word of truth, you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation. The enemy often comes and he will do his best to lie to you and get you to believe his lie above the truth of what God has presented to you. But if you are standing and you you have taken up the helmet of salvation and said, I'm putting on my helmet right now in the midst of this battle, you can know that you can fight the enemy and you can fight the lies that are coming against you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus said that he is a liar and the father of lies. There isn't any part of truth that he can speak to you. He can't come along beside you and promise you something good. He is incapable of good. He is incapable of giving you anything that will help you. And when he comes along beside you and he begins to question you and begins to cause those things to roll around in your mind, see it for what it is. See it as a lie. Put the word of truth upon your life, that truth that has come from the great gospel of your salvation. And you can fight the disillusionment of the enemy. Often people are looking around and believers, people who have have been in the faith and they have stepped outside of that place of salvation. They have done so because they've listened to the lie. They have become disillusioned. And instead of looking to their Savior, looking to the one who is truth, they just look around in a world that is so absolutely confused. They look around in a world that is so horribly torn apart, and they say, well, this is all there is. No, you know what, brothers and sisters, the Bible lets us know that we've got a hope in Him. We've got salvation in Him. You've got a covering for the mind against disillusionment. Go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Romans 8 and verse 1. You've got a covering for the mind against doubt. Salvation provides us, this helmet of salvation provides us with a covering for the mind against doubt. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Romans 8 and verse 1. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Every now and then, the enemy comes along and begins to try to make you doubt your salvation because you failed God. Well, you know, that's not what Christians do. I mean, think about it. You're the worst Christian in the history of Christians. You're just horrible for what you did. How can you call yourself a believer? He begins to condemn us, and we begin to doubt whether or not our salvation is actually viable and true. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the Bible does not say here there is now no condemnation to those who are are perfect in their salvation. 
There, it doesn't say there is no condemnation to those who don't ever fail. It says there is no condemnation to what? To those who are in Christ Jesus. You say, I've had some failures along the way, but I am in Christ. I am trusting in what he has done for me. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that in the midst of all of that, that is the way to combat doubt. The devil says, you're not a very good Christian, are you? You can say, I may not be a good Christian, but he's a great Savior. He's going to rescue me. He's going to help me. He is a great God. Listen, I'm not excusing our, our nonsense sometimes. Sometimes we make excuses because we want to give in to the flesh. That's not what this message is about. This is about those who genuinely struggle and fight against something where the enemy comes in and he tries to put that seed of doubt in your heart and in your mind. I want you to know we've got salvation to protect us as a covering over our minds against the doubt that the enemy will try to bring into us. It's a covering of our mind against disunity. I'm just going to read this verse of Scripture. We need to move on. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. The Bible goes on and it talks about what they did. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had. But notice this first part. All the believers were one mind or one in heart and mind. It, salvation is a covering against disunity. It's a covering of the mind against disunity. We have to remember, brothers and sisters, that we have a job, and that job as believers, though we are all different from one another, we've come from different places, different backgrounds, different, uh, we were raised differently, maybe you had, you, you know, there, there are all kinds of things that, that we have in our past that are different from somebody else. But I want you to know that as believers, we are one and need to remain as one. We cannot allow disunity to come and salvation provides us with a covering for our mind against disunity. Salvation provides us not only with a covering for the mind, but it also provides us with a conquering mind. Listen, we know the scripture. Let me just read it. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. It says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Salvation provides you with a conquering mind, knowing that when the enemy comes and the battle is raging and you're standing your ground and you're fighting and he is throwing every lie, every flaming arrow against you, the Bible lets us know that you can come out on the, on the winning side because you have a mind that can conquer his. The Bible also lets us know that salvation provides us with a clear mind. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, but I'm going to read a verse of Scripture out of the book of Matthew chapter 16. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, and I'm going to read from, before we get there and read this verse of Scripture, I want to read Matthew 16 and verse 23 because I want you to see the clarity of mind that Jesus had that Peter did not. In contrast to now what we can have in Christ. 
The Bible says this, Jesus turned and said to Peter in Matthew 16 and verse 23, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus is speaking to how Peter is being used in that moment to try to dissuade Jesus from going to the cross. And Jesus said, this is not the mind of God. This isn't what God has has planned for mankind. If I don't go to the cross, there is no salvation. If I don't die for the, the sins of mankind, man cannot be free. He says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God. Jesus had absolute clarity of mind because he knew what God the Father wanted him to do. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, the Bible says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But I want you to hear this. Paul writes, But we have the mind of Christ. Salvation is when God comes and he begins to take control of your thought life. He begins to take control of the things that we think, the things that we say, the things that we do. Brothers and sisters, God wants us to know that salvation provides us with a clear mind. You don't have to live confused in a confusing world, but instead with the salvation that we have from Him, knowing the truth of the Word of God, we can have a clarity of mind that will help us navigate through any struggle, any difficulty, any I don't know what's going to happen situation, and we can have the clarity of mind. Why? Because Paul says that if you are in Christ, you have the mind of Christ. You've got the mind of Christ. It's a clear mind. So salvation provides us with that. But there is something else, one final thing that the helmet of salvation will do. It not only protects you, it not only provides for you, but it points others to Christ. The helmet that you wear is not just so that you, and I know in the context of this passage, it is about the battle that we are faced with against the enemy, but we also recognize this, and Julian mentioned it earlier as he talked about, and I think this is a wonderful idea as we begin to focus a little bit on persecution of the faith in this country. It's not just coming, it's already happening. In many ways, all you have to do is read some of the news. And don't go to one source for the news, by the way. Start, start you know, broadening the scope of your readership. Start beginning to see what is happening in this country. It is fast becoming a, a, a situation in this country where to speak out against some of the social sinful problems that we have as a society is going to become against the law. Already in Canada, a pastor, uh, this was a number of years ago, a pastor was jailed for preaching against homosexuality from a biblical point of view, saying it was wrong. He was jailed. In Canada? Canada is supposed to be a democracy like us. It's free like us. I know they're loyal to the queen, but, you know, only in name only. It's, it, is a, it, it is a free society. And yet it's not becoming so free anymore. 
Oh, no, it's hate. No, it's not. It's just what the Bible says. You don't call people names. You don't call them certain things. You don't, you don't get derogatory. That is not the mind of Christ. That's not the love of Christ. But we have to call things for what they are. And brothers and sisters, we live in a world that needs to know that there is salvation through Jesus Christ. You see, the, sal- the helmet of salvation points others to a fact that a, of, of a God who loves all of mankind. Well, if he loves us, then he'll just let us do what we want. Really? Do we really? Are we that stupid? How many of you parents let your kids do whatever you want? I don't think so. You see your kid going near a stove that has hot boiling water. You're through the roof making sure that kid does not go there. In our house, we still to this day have a habit. My wife opens the oven. She shouts in the house, oven open. If, if there is a, a hot boiling pot of, of pasta being taken from the stove to drain it in the sink, she goes, hot water, boiling water. We'll close the door. We'll close the door to the kitchen. We'll do what we have to do to make sure that our kids are not burned in a situation where if we just, well, let's let them do whatever they want. Oh, you want to put your hand in there? See how it feels? Huh? Experience is a great teacher. No, it's derelict. That would, be, that would be absolute idiocy. Brothers and sisters, we, we don't, if God loves us, God is going to correct us. He is going to, he is going to lay down some rules which mankind is having a hard time understanding at this point. No, it can't, well, we got to just do whatever we want to do, find our own way. No, that's not the love of God. That's not loving. Go to, Ephesians, again, if you're there, I'm not sure if you're there, but if you're not, let's go there. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. You see, the helmet of salvation is not just for your, the battle that we are faced with is a battle against the enemy who is working through some of the situations that we see in our society, we see in the world, we see in the politics of the world, we see in all of these things. It is the enemy at work. We are fighting against an enemy. Your enemy is not an individual. It's never an individual. It's never a group. It's never that. But it is, at times, it may be what that group stands for. And yes, they may take it personally. You can't help that. But you have to stand your ground with what is absolutely true because there is a God who loves them and he wants them to turn away from their sin. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 4 and 5, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. But I want you to see that it is because of his great love for us. God who is rich in mercy. You know what the mercy indicates? Mercy indicates God won't kill you, even though he should. Heard Charles Swindoll say that one day. I thought that was so good. Mercy is God won't kill you, even though he really ought to. Our sin deserves death. It is punishable by death. That's why there is the cross. Jesus was crucified in your place. 
in my place. The love of God says and tells us that His love is so great that His mercy has been shown to you by having Jesus die on the cross in your place for your sins. He took upon Himself all the sins of mankind. Your sins, my sins, the sins that are being committed. And it's out there. And now there simply has to be forgiveness. But there can be no forgiveness until we come to know that He died for me, He died for my sin, and I must walk away from or repent of my sin. Brothers and sisters, the love of God is so great. He loves you. I once heard somebody say, He loves you in spite of you. A a brother who had a prison ministry in New York many years ago, I don't know if he still does, I have no idea, lost touch with him after I heard him preach in chapel a couple of times, but I'll never forget this. He said, I go into the prisons and I look at those men straight in the eye and he said, God loves you, but He doesn't approve of you. He loves you, but He doesn't approve of you. Parents who have had their kids go off and do their own thing in life as they've gotten older and made their own choices, that parent does not cease to love that child. If that parent is is a true parent, if they, they do not cease to love that child, but it doesn't mean they approve of the way that they're going. It's the same way with God. God may love us, but He doesn't necessarily approve of how it is that we walk if we walk against Him in sin. Brothers and sisters, we have the helmet of salvation. It has to be proclaimed to a world that is lost, a world that is dying, that there is a God in heaven who loves them in spite of their sin. He cares for them, and He will change their lives for all of eternity. You see, salvation points others to a God who can save anyone. Paul said this. You don't need to turn there, but Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, he said, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he says this, of whom I am the worst. You know what Paul was saying? He's saying if he could save me, he can save you. If he can save this derelict Pharisee who thought he was doing such good things by by persecuting believers and persecuting Christians, sending them to their death, breaking apart their families, breaking apart their homes. If he could save the likes of me, then he can save any sinner in the world, no matter who they are, no matter what they have done. He still can save people from their sin. He can rescue them from the very thing that will destroy their lives, not only now, but for all of eternity. He is able. The helmet of salvation, brothers and sisters, is like a banner. It's like a proof. It's like like saying, we've got something here that you need. It's not just for you personally in your battle, but it is for the world to be able to grab onto and to take a hold of. One final thing, salvation points others to a God who is powerful enough to transform. Salvation points others to a God who is powerful enough to transform. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 verse 2. The Bible says this. Romans 12 and verse 2. It says, do not conform 
and no longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is that even possible? It's only possible through salvation. You cannot have a mind be transformed in the way that God wants it to be transformed outside of God. I realize there's a lot of positive thinking, self-help kind of stuff that can help people in certain ways. You can do that, but you can never have a mind that's truly transformed outside of Christ. It is only done in and through Him. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Some way or another, as long as you're doing it without God, without Christ, you're going to conform one way or another to the pattern of the world. It may be a little bit of time. You may have said to yourself, I'm not going to do that thing ever again. I'm not going to go back to that. But sooner or later, you find yourself back in the same situation because you failed to come to know that in salvation, God has the power to transform your mind. And it is the mind that has to be transformed. It is not your habits. It's not your, the pattern of your life. It's not telling yourself something. It is accepting what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross and saying, Lord, the power of the cross is now the power to be able to live in me and renew my mind and to change me. God is powerful enough to transform. You remember how Peter had denied knowing Jesus. Powerful passage of Scripture, the Gospels. The Gospels record this in different facets, different ways. Matthew records certain aspects. Luke records others. Mark records some other things. And even John records a little bit of of what took place. But I love how Jesus did not leave Peter to be the victim of his own choice. He didn't leave Peter down in his discouragement, down in his failure. But after the resurrection, remember the story how Jesus and Peter are walking along the beach of of the sea and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Just that first question is indication that God still had a plan for Peter. He didn't have failure as a plan, but he had something more. He says, second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Third time, Peter's getting a little testy after this third time. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He says, wonderful. Feed my sheep. You know what Jesus did in that moment? He transformed Peter. He changed Peter from being a failure to being somebody who could trust in the salvation that was just bought and purchased for him on the cross. Your salvation today is not how well you perform as a Christian. It's not how perfect you You do this Christian life. But instead, your salvation, brothers and sisters, is based solely upon Him. 
And he still has the power to transform people's lives. He has the power to change people. You say, but this person, they've always been like that. I don't care. That's the world talking to you. The world is saying, well, maybe if you can just kind of help them along a little bit, then maybe they won't go back and do that. There doesn't have to be any maybes in God. There are no maybes in Him. There is the power to transform a life. There is the power of salvation to change people for all of eternity. The Bible says that He is able in the book of Hebrews to save and to save to the uttermost. In other words, this is not just some piddly little change that happened over a long period of time, but this is God coming down, transforming a life. Brothers and sisters, that's the salvation we have. That's the salvation that you possess. And that's the salvation that will keep you in the midst of the battle when the enemy comes The Bible says, take the helmet of salvation. In other words, it's absolutely imperative. You can't live without it. You've got to have it in your battle. But part of your battle is now also reaching out to a lost and a dying world that's falling hook, line, and sinker for the lies that the enemy has told them. The lies that the enemy says, you just live for you, and everything in the end is just going to be okay. We'll figure it out at the end. No, no, you don't have to figure it out at the end. You can know from the very beginning that God can transform you, and He's got eternal life in store for you. We have a hope, brothers and sisters, the hope of salvation, the hope of what God has done for us and that He will deliver us. Can we stand to our feet right now? And can we just lift our voices and thank Him for the wonderful salvation that we have in Him? Let's thank Him right now for all that He has done for us. He's done great and mighty things. He has done things wonderfully for us. He has given us a hope and a future. Let's just praise Him right now. Begin to magnify the name of the Lord together. Let's lift our voices today and let's thank Him for all that He has done. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank You today for Your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the salvation that we have in you. I thank you, Lord, that you have done more than we could ever ask or think. And Lord God, today we stand in grace. We stand in mercy. We don't stand in our own merit. We don't stand in anything that we can do. But God, we are standing in what it is that you have given to us on the cross. I thank you for the helmet of salvation that has been provided to us in the midst of our battle, that has been provided to us in the midst of warfare. Lord God, we are in a spiritual warfare today. We are in a spiritual battle. And Lord God, we're going to take the helmet of salvation. We're going to put it on, O God. And we're going to stand protected against the power and the enemy, O God, and what it is that He is able to try to do to us. God, we thank You. I thank You, O God, for this armor. I thank You, O God, that we have something that can help us to stand our ground. Lord God, we thank You that we don't have to give in to the flesh. We don't have to give in to the enemy, O God, but that we can choose You today. God, I thank You. Lord, I give You the mercy. I give You, Lord, praise for Your mercy and for Your grace. I give You thanksgiving today for the salvation that You have given to each and every one of us. And Father, I pray that you would help your people. Encourage them, O oh God, in the battle, whatever battle they're faced with. God, give them strength. Give them help today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus.